Okay. Put this here. Now, we read, our first scripture reading this evening was from John chapter 17. And that's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible with one of my favorite Bible verses. And my, one of my favorite Bible verses, I even have on a business card. If you want to call it that, I don't know if pastors call them business cards. But, you know, if I meet somebody and I, you know, want to leave them with my contact information, I just, I give them this or... Sometimes it comes in handy, too, because it's blank on the back. You can write things on it. But anyway, all, all that to say is that John 17.3 I have on the card. Um, because when I went to have the cards made, I'm thinking, what should I put on it? And, uh, but this is one of my favorites, if not my favorite, um, Bible verse. And it, John 17.3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus makes it crystal clear what eternal life is. It is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ who was sent to earth by him. This simple yet sublime sentence, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, is controversial. In our day of tolerance, it is controversial. And it wasn't like this 50 years ago. And I say it's controversial. If you haven't encountered it personally, you may encounter it. I was watching a YouTube video, and um, one of the um, senators who ran for president in the last presidential election was grilling this, this person. Uh, I believe he was the head of the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. Um, grilling him uh, about a statement or a piece that he had written in defense of a Christian college that let go a professor, that terminated a professor, who equated, um, uh, I should have watched it again to get it exactly, so don't quote me on the facts, but this is the gist of it. Um, basically was saying that uh, the God of Islam, Allah and God, uh, are, are equal, they're the same, and, and that, you know, there, there's, what wasn't a whole much difference between the two, the two faiths, um, and uh, they let her go, as they should have, you know, God's word is clear, um, and Allah is not God, the true and the living God, um, but he wrote this article in, in defense of this move that this Christian college had made, and this senator was grilling this guy and grilling him and grilling him. Are you telling me that um, Muslims aren't going to go to heaven? Are you saying this? And he kept saying, um, you know, he, was, he believed in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ taught. Um, and you could tell that this senator was just, was just really grilling him. And, you know, there is no litmus test. There's no test, religious test, that anyone has to take to hold office in our country. Um, um, there's no, um, we have no state church or official religion in our country. We're free to practice our religion, but we're free to practice and to worship, uh, to worship God. Um, so this fellow was just expressing what he believed, his religious belief, and he was being grilled by it. And as I said, 50 years ago, that statement would not have been controversial. Um, one of the reasons it's controversial, probably the main reason, is that it is an exclusive statement. Eternal life is found in no other God but the true God and Jesus Christ, 
whom this true God has sent. Can you find eternal life in Allah, the God of Islam and the Muslims? No, you can't. What about eternal life in the way of the Buddha? No, you can't find eternal life in the way of the Buddha. How about Krishna's path? No, can't find eternal life in Krishna's path. How about the worship of the sun, the moon, the stars, or our ancestors? No. The answer is a resounding no, because Jesus has made it crystal clear how human beings can know and have eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This statement by Jesus in John 17, 3, forces you and me and every other human being on the planet to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? If he was only a man, you could forget about him. In fact, I remember as a young Christian, as a new Christian, and I was in college, and you know, different ones would talk to me or say things, and, and I said, you know what? If this were not true, I would have nothing to do with it. I have better things to do with my life than to, to follow Jesus. But it's true. He's true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I couldn't deny it. And it was worth, it, he is worth giving my life to and following him. So over 40 years, I have been a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, my prayer is that my life would, would count for him. Um, that it would not be a wasted life. Any life lived for Christ is not a wasted life. I just want to live it to the fullest for him. Um, I want to be able to, to do that. And, and uh, if you pray for me, pray that I would. You know, pray that I would. Um, so Jesus, if he was just a mere man, you could forget about that statement. However, if he was God as he claimed he was, and that sacred scripture attests that he is, then there's only one response that you and I can give. And that is to yield our lives to him and to worship and faithfully serve him with our lives. That's the only logical, rational, reasonable response. Now, the Gospel of John was written for those who did not yet believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, and that knowing him could lead... Um, would give you eternal life. So the Gospel of John was written that, that the readers would come to this conclusion. Um, we can see the Gospel writer's purpose in John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow with me, John chapter 20, verse 29, or verse 30 rather. I'm going to read 30 and 31. Okay, in John 20, 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose. The Apostle John wrote this, this gospel, and that was his purpose, okay? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, Matthew's gospel um, shows Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Mark, we see 
Jesus as God's servant. And Luke, you can certainly see the humanity of Jesus. Um, talks about his, his birth, his coming to earth and taking on human flesh. All right? Um, but the purpose of John's gospel is that we might believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God, the Messiah, and that by believing have life in his name. Um, so I'd like to read again um, just a couple verses in the beginning of the prologue here. We read the prologue, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read again verses 1 and 2 and then verse 14. And as I do, just, just let these words sink in a bit, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, most nights I go to bed just med meditating on this prologue. It's just, and I fall asleep before I get to finish, you know, meditating on it. There's just so much here. It's so rich. It's so, so wonderful here. Um, but there's three things that are taught about Jesus, about his divinity, uh, about his, his divine nature, him being God, uh, in, this, in these few verses that I just read. Um, and so we're not going to get much, we're, in fact, we're only going to look at these verses. Um, and there's three things I'd like to, to bring out that is taught about Jesus' divinity here. The first thing is that Jesus existed in the beginning. That is, Jesus was pre-existent. He already was. Jesus was before all things. Okay? Um, we hear the, the word beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, when you think of the word beginning, or you hear the word beginning, um, it can mean the start of something, right? Um, for example, if a child is beginning first grade, they're starting first grade. Um, or if someone's beginning college, they're starting college. Or you could say he's beginning his flute lessons. He's, he's beginning flute lessons. They're starting flute le lessons, okay? So beginning can have a sense of a start. Um, however, when John talks about the beginning in Jesus' earthly ministry, in John 1, um, uh, I'm sorry, in, in 1 John, let's take a look at 1 John. Um, he's saying a lot more, um, but we're all focusing on beginning. So if you look at the epistle of 1 John, Chapter 1, 1 John 1, the first two verses here. This is, this is just wonderful. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon with our, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Um, there's a lot there. Let me, let me read that again. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning. Now, he's talking about the beginning of Jesus' ministry here, okay? Um, he's talking about that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. John is saying, I've heard with my own ears which we have seen with our eyes, John saw with his eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. 
We've touched Jesus. Remember that beautiful account at the Last Supper when Peter motions to the apostle that Jesus loved, who was John, um, when Jesus said, you know, he's going to be betrayed. And it says he leaned back on Jesus' breast. Um, you just get that closeness of the apostles and that love that Jesus had for them and they had for him. And, and I just picture in my, my, my mind, you know, he leans back because back then we didn't, you didn't sit at a table like you do today. You more or less, re, uh, you're eating more or less on the, on the ground. Uh, you wouldn't be eating out of the, off the dirt, no. But you, and then you'd be reclining on cushions. Okay, so maybe, the, 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 maybe there was a raised platform that, that you'd be eating from. Um, but he's just, he's, they're all leaning around. They're all reclining, eat, having the Last Supper, the Passover meal. And he leans against Jesus' breast and he looks up at him. And you just get that, that intimate picture here. So this is what John is saying. We've seen him with our eyes. We've heard him with our ears. We've even touched the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you also that you may have fellowship with us. That is just profound. That the Apostle John is relating his interaction with Jesus. So we have here the word, I'm getting back, not to get off track here, but getting back to the beginning. In this sense, the beginning is, again, is used at the start of something, the start of Jesus' ministry. Um, where, you know, talking about the prologue or the introduction to the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word. Does in the beginning sound familiar? Where else do we find in the beginning? In Genesis, in the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, okay? That's the start, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before there were any heavens or any earth. It was in the beginning that God created. So at the start, he created the heavens and the earth. However, in John's gospel, the use of beginning goes beyond the start of something. It goes to eternity eternity. This use of beginning is found wherever the Bible speaks in detail about the person of Jesus Christ. Um, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 1. We're only going to read two verses here. Hebrews chapter 1. Um, pastor's finishing up Hebrews in the evening. and So you'll be familiar with this. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, here again we have, talking about the world, the universe being created through Jesus Christ. All right? So this is talking about eternity. Jesus exists in eternity. 
before the creation of anything that we see around us. And how about um, going to Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. I read verse 8 and verse 17. So uh, Revelation 1, verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is talking about Jesus being eternal God. When he talks about the, the Alpha and the Omega, the alpha, was, the alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the Omega is the last letter. Um, and it's encompassing everything. Even before the beginning, Jesus existed. Jesus existed. And um, so, this, so Jesus always was. He existed. He is eternal. That's the first thing that we see in the in the prologue of John's gospel. The second thing that's taught about Jesus' divinity is that he was with God. In the beginning, going back to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. Christ has a separate identity. This is a very subtle statement. Um, I was recently talking uh, to to my wife and about this, and she mentioned somebody, and I said, "Oh, that that person's a heretic. They don't believe in the Trinity." And uh, but here they had changed their beliefs. I won't mention who it is, um, but a popular uh, someone that's popular. Um, apparently, they changed their beliefs. They believe in the Trinity, but it's very very important that we see in the beginning of John's Gospel um, that Jesus, being fully divine was with God, so we get, and was God. So he's, he's God and he's separate. So he's a separate person. In fact, John wants to say that Jesus is fully God. In John 14, 9, remember what Jesus said to Philip? Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? John is acknowledging the Trinity here and that there is diversity within the Godhead. Jesus is a distinct person in the Godhead. Um, ask me how to explain this further. Can I explain the Trinity? I can't. I can't. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. I cannot explain the Trinity. But we can see from the Scriptures that the Scriptures teach there is one God in three divine persons. In fact, we have the ancient creeds. Um, it's the Nicene Creed. I'm thinking of particularly um, that the church fathers got together, and it was in response to heresy. And if we had the time, we'd look at the Nicene Creed, and it talks about the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is something that the Christian church has taught from the beginning. And there were, just like today, there are cults, there are sects that deny the Trinity within, they call themselves Christian, but they deny the Trinity. Um, they, these are not new. They've been around. But the church has dealt with it, and it was settled that this is, it's a mystery. And if I could explain it to you, I wouldn't be here, okay? Um, 
I don't know where I would be, but, but nobody can explain the Trinity. I've, I've read and I've, I've heard um, you know, people trying to explain it. And I've, I even heard a new Christian try to explain the Trinity. And um, it wasn't, I didn't feel it was my place to say, well, that's not a very good example. Because you know, from science, your, your, your uh, argument's going to fall away. So maybe if I get a chance later, I'll tell them. But probably Pastor Skip could explain it to you. So we can all um, see Pastor Skip afterwards. No, I'm only teasing. Um, if he could, he would explain it to us. So, so, so let's look at the third thing that's taught concerning the divinity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus being God, is that Jesus was fully divine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Literally, God was the Word. God was the Word. Look at Colossians 2 with me, if you will. Colossians 2. Are you all with me, or am I, have I lost you? You are? Okay. Thank you. Colossians chapter 2. Get there myself. Using a paper Bible. I've got one big enough I can almost see it. Okay, Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse, we'll read verses 8 and 9. Very uh, appropriate for our times. Beware, chapter 2 of Colossians, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Okay, looking at verse 9, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Again, here we see Paul is explaining um, that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. Okay? Everything that can be said about God the Father can be said about God the Son. In Jesus dwells all the wisdom, glory, power, love, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth of the Father. In Christ, God the Father is known. So what does this mean practically for us? To say that Jesus Christ is God is to say that we can know what God is like. We can get a fuller picture knowledge, uh, an understanding of what God is like. Think about this. What if we only had the Old Testament? What if we only had the Old Testament? The Jewish people, they only accept the Old Testament. Um, I know most of you in this room, that, and I know you know your Bibles. So think about the, the understanding of God you would have if you just had the Old Testament. Now think about what we have in the New Testament. We find I find, and I think you'll, you'll agree, a fuller picture of who God is in the, with the New Testament, okay? Um, God came in the flesh. And I love that. Um, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Later on in, in the chapter 1, it says, um, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, Right? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, there's so much 
more. We don't get as much as we want to know about the Lord, you know. I know you all have questions like I do, and I've heard people say, oh, the first thing I want to ask the Lord when I see him is, is this or is that, is this. And I remember one time, I think when I was teaching EE, I had to evangelism explosion. There was a, a lesson and um, finding about, about other beliefs, and I was teaching at the time in a public school, and, I, and it was a Jewish teacher, a colleague, and um, I had some time, so I asked her, I said, uh, one of the questions was, what do you believe about heaven? Do you believe in heaven? Um, and you know, there's not a whole lot that's said in the Old Testament about heaven, okay, about the afterlife. We find a lot more in the New Testament, right? But we still have questions, don't we? We still have questions. So my, my whole point is that, is that um, we get a fuller picture, uh, a, a picture knowledge and understanding of what God is like in Jesus Christ. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Conversely, we cannot really know God, we can't know God, apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. If you want to know what God is like, study the life of Christ. In other words, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Um, God has always been like Jesus. What does this mean practically? Okay. First thing I say is that we get a fuller picture and knowledge and understanding of God through Jesus, we also find out more of what God is like. Does Christ hate sin? Yes, he does. God has always hated sin, hasn't he? Does Christ love the sinners? Yes, he does. God loves the sinner too. Uh, Bible commentary William Barclay said this about the incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh, taking on flesh and blood. What Jesus did was to open a window in time that we might see the eternal and unchanging love of God. I'll read that again, okay? I like this quote. What Jesus did was open a window in time that we might see the eternal and unchanging love of God. Okay. Do you know God loves you? Okay. Um, when I get down, I get discouraged. When I have a pity party, nobody loves me. God, do you love me? Uh, and I just look at the cross, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He not only tells me that he loves me, he showed me, he proved it. He proved it to you and to me by sending his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. So I don't, you know, by God's grace, I don't, I don't get into those pity parties. I mean, you know, I'm tempted to, but I just say, no, I can't have a pity party. That's not going to please the Lord, you know. God loves me, and I know he loves me. He not only tells me he loves me, but he proved that he loves me. And we have that privilege and that wonderful opportunity to express the love of God to others, Okay, um, we can show the love of Christ to the world by our lives and by our acts of kindness and service and ministry, by our words, how we speak. So read your Bibles, find out what Jesus, uh, what he's like, what God is like. And the final thing, the practical thing that we learn from this passage is that Christ's death on the cross was significant. Jesus became the one sufficient and acceptable sacrifice for sin. We can't die for another's sin, but Christ could. 
He is God who became man. He was sinless and he was innocent. Think about it. If there was ever an innocent person, it was Jesus Christ. I'm not innocent. I've done wrong, okay? Um, I probably broke some traffic laws I know of. I mean, not, well, not on purpose. I mean, a couple times I've been stopped by a police, you know. Um, uh, well, yeah, I, I guess I've done other things. I know I'm guilty, you know, um, but I'm forgiven, okay? And I seek to follow the Lord and to walk in his ways. So Jesus died for my sins. Uh, nobody else could die for me. And you can't, you can't do anything for anybody else's sins as much as you might like to. For a child, a loved one's, right? Only Jesus, his sacrifice, can cover their sins and atone for their sins. And finally, Jesus Christ is God and is able to fully satisfy all the needs of your heart and my heart. Do you have needs? Does your heart long for things? Jesus Christ is able to satisfy all the needs of your heart. God is infinite. Jesus is infinite. He knows you. He knows your needs. And he is able to meet every single one of your needs. So let him do it. Let him do it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, the words we find in sacred scripture are just incredible. Sometimes we have to read and reread and reread and meditate on the simplest things that your word reveals. We thank you that you love us, that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves that you love us, that you care for us, that you are good and you are holy. Help us to entrust ourselves to you, O Lord, and help us, O Lord, to show your love by allowing Christ to live his life through us to the fullest, to a lost and dying world. And have mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.